Disturbing Interest is a Horrible Histories, Terrible Mysteries podcast. The past, and unfortunately the present, are very explicit places. Listener discretion is advised. If you like Disturbing Interests, please remember to rate us and leave a comment. We appreciate you spreading the word. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your priest at confession. Tell it to your parole officer. Tell a rival gang member. Just shout it into the wind and let the pigeons carry our voices into the void. Remember, your likes and shares are crucial to our survival. Hi all, Regina here. This week we are giving you a sneak preview into our new episodes called Something Stupid. These are going to be mini-sodes that we give to you in between the regular sodes, so we hope you enjoy as we do Something Stupid. Welcome back to Disturbing Interests, everyone. I'm Regina King, your evil queen, and sitting next to me is my ever-lovely partner. Hello, I'm Lynn, the docent of darkness. And today we are bringing you an extra-sode, and we're going to start doing these segments regularly, which we are calling Something Stupid, as in, Something Something Stupid stupid This Way Comes. It's where we do stuff. We don't just research it and talk about it. We do weird shit, and then we talk about it. We tell you. That's right. So for the first one, we started it off with... Cooking price-wise. Oh, here oh. comes our intern. He didn't get to taste any of it, so now he's going to be a muck, a muck, a muck. Oh, he is always a muck, but he just got to go outside, so he's very happy. Anyway, this is getting very little editing, so enjoy that romping sound you just heard. So for this episode, we went, uh, we did a culinary tour of Cooking Price-Wise, A Culinary Legacy, which is a cookbook by Vincent Price. Yes, that one, that Vincent Price. That's right. And if you are wondering who that Vincent Price is, then you are one of the many people that I have talked to this week and wondered how are you wondering who that Vincent Price is. So, Lynn... Tell us a little bit of something about who Vincent Price was. Okay, so for those of you who are like Billie Eilish with Van Halen on who Vincent Price is, I'm just going to give you like a short primer on the man, the myth, the legacy. Um, So many people, I'm sure, of a certain age do, that are listening to this, like us, do know who Vincent Price is. Some of you are like, oh my god, wait... Um, Is he like that guy from, like, Thriller? The one that wasn't the child molester? Yes, yes, he was in that. Alleged. Alleged child molester. Um, So he was born Vincent Leonard Price Jr. uh, on May 27, 1911 in St. Louis, Missouri. And he was the youngest child of Vincent Leonard Price Sr., who was the president of the National Candy Company. Of course. Mm, So Mm. sweet. And may I say, not just in Thriller, but you may also know him from the holiday classic, Edward Scissorhands. That's right. Yeah, so this, trust me, once we start talking about it, you'll be like, oh yeah, that guy. I I hope, I hope. Yeah, so he was the uh, child of Vincent Leonard Price Sr. and uh, his wife, Margaret Cobb Price, who ran the National Candy Company. And his grandfather was Vincent Clarence Price, so, like, my family, this is not a family that is wealthy with names. They have, like, three or four, and they just stick with it, I guess. Just I mean, if you find confusing. a good name, just keep Go on using it. it. Yep. yep. And Vincent Clarence Price invented Dr. Price's baking powder, 
which was the first uh, cream of tartar-based baking powder. Apparently, it was a game changer in the world of baking. So they're really culinary experts. Absolutely. It goes back. Yeah, and he's not the first price to come out with a cookbook. Absolutely not, no. Um, and basically, yeah, the whole family fortunes were in cooking. Um, and so, yeah, this culinary apple did not fall at all far from the tree in this instance, but his, the rest of his career that he's best known for had nothing to do with food. It had to do with horror! <laughs> it did involve chewing a lot of scenery, for sure. Um, so Vincent Price originally wanted to become an art historian. Yes! One of us, one of us, one of us. But he just had way too much personal charm, charisma, and handsomeness. And that voice. And the voice. <laughs> oh, yes. Not to be lured into treading the boards. So he graduated from Yale in 1933 with a degree in English and a minor in art history and promptly decamped for Old Blighty a year later to attend the Courtauld Institute of Art in London with a plan to get a master's in fine art. However, he actually ended up performing with Orson Welles' Mercury Theater starting in about 1935, and he really, his career really took off and he really got notice when he appeared as Prince Albert, not in the can, that's for our really old listeners, um, in the American production of Lawrence Hausman's a scandalous play, Victoria Regina, which was about jolly old Queen Victoria. Not about vaginas. No, Victoria, Victoria Regina, not, yeah, no, none of that. Uh, so the play was actually only scandalous, not in content, but because there was apparently a rule that no British sovereign could be portrayed on the British stage until 100 years after their accession to the throne so that this play could not actually be performed in the UK when it was made in when it was actually written in 1934 however it was allowed to be staged there in 1937 so and so opened in London like the day after the 100th jubilee of her going onto the throne did the did one of the henrys come up with that because I, that sounds like something that was written after the richard the third fiasco. Yeah, I'm not sure why, but apparently there was some... I don't think that's in any degree of... um, uh, That's not in effect right now, or else we wouldn't have the queen, I don't think. True. So, but yeah, for apparently that was like just... It was not cricket old thing back in the day. Uh, But it it went over to Broadway and performed very well in the United States. Um, And yeah, there was nothing at all like steamy or salty or whatnot in the play, except that Prince Albert was played by a very dishy tall drink of water i mean seriously guys like google young vincent price uh and be prepared for the hubba hubba those lips he's he's a handsome gentleman uh so uh with his success on broadway under his belt vincent price went on to become a character actor in hollywood appearing in really famous films which if you don't know who vincent price is you're like i don't know these movies either so you know just stuff to google later for your own enjoyment maybe they're on netflix check them out uh, Laura, very famous kind of spooky noir movie, uh, and Lever to Heaven, that's another super big classic, uh, as well as featuring in very villainous turns 
in a number of film noir of the 1940s. I adore him as a villain. I mean, Evil Queen, Vincent Price makes perfect sense. I mean, he doesn't just play villains, but most of his career and what he's really known for is playing the sinister side. He's so good at it. He's so good. It feels so good to be bad. But in life, he's actually a, a delightful fella. Like, he's a really nice guy. Kind of sassy, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, uh, he's a fun guy. Uh, but, okay, so it was the 1950s that he really hit his stride as the master of horror. His first actual horror film role was in 1939 with Boris Karloff, because if you're going to start somewhere, start at the top, right? in the Tower of London, but he definitely really kind of hit his stride and reinvented himself as the king of elegant terror during the 50s in pictures like House of Wax, The Mad Magician, and The Fly. So the original version of The Fly, not the Jeff Goldblum Brundle Fly. Another yeah. juicy dish, though. But not as the Brundle Fly. No, just, I mean, that's just, just juicy. Jeff That's Goldblum. just liquid. Yeah, no. Mm. Uh, so anyway, he teamed up with schlocky shockmeister William Castle, who never met a bizarre film gimmick that he didn't like, to really freak out audiences with such cheesy masterpieces as The House on Haunted Hill and The Tingler, in which people would actually, um, there were devices installed under some of the seats in the theaters that would kind of jig, like zap the seats and jiggle you. So that was pretty cool. And then... That is cool. Yeah, there were other ones where, like, uh, I think it was 13 Ghosts had a skeleton or a ghost on a wire kind of go whoosh down yep. into, your, into your face. Like, yeah, it was pretty great. Why can't we bring that back, theaters? Oh, I yeah. mean, if I'm paying you 20 bucks for a small popcorn, give me a ghost on a wire. Right? Christ, I'd even settle for Odorama, you know? Uh, so he then teamed up... Um, in the 1960s with B-picture schlockfest Lord of the of the Tits, later Lord of the Tits, now Lord of the Scares, uh, God of all bad movies, Roger freaking Corman. Again, young people, just look up Roger Corman. Please enjoy the horrible cheese that, that you know, your parents and their generation were raised on just for a giggle it's, and it's i'm i'm gonna go ahead and put a caveat here we are not implying this to everybody of a certain age we are not being ageist we're just saying if you were born past a certain point you may not know about yeah. these people. i mean there's nothing wrong with that it's not like you're i'm saying you're dumb i'm just saying that like this would not have been in your windscreen this wouldn't have been in your field of vision but it's great like it's a it's really a fun part of the past that i think is worth revisiting like absolutely you're gonna be like oh my god this is in no way woke no 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 it's not it's the 60s guys but it is definitely an interesting not. it's a fun schlocky bizarro part of of american history that if you like this show this will probably give you a chuckle you'll probably enjoy that um so yeah he really hit his stride with a lot of roger corman's movies uh, in this amazing series of Edgar Allan Poe adaptations, starting with The House of Usher, and including some real classics like The Pit and the Pendulum, The Raven, The Mask of the Red Death, and The Tomb of Lygia. I cannot squee enough over these. I love they're them. They're fabulous. They are just, yes. they're genuinely like delightful and creepy in a I mean, absolutely. A budget of 97 cents? Yes, yes. But a really well-used budget of 97 cents. On a side note, there was a movie series of 
shorts done recently that um, were Edgar Allan Poe stories and they were and like one of them was the voice of Vincent Price set to animation. Oh yeah yeah it I know was what you're really about. cool. Yeah, yeah yeah totally worth it. Because he also recorded tons of radio programs of spooky scary stories. So I mean all of this is stuff that you can probably easily find on places like YouTube and whatnot to just I, enjoy. I'm sure something like Audible has a release oh, out yeah, there. Has sure. to so, um, though my favorite of his 1960s run of horror cheese is the Witchfinder General, which was considered for the time so brutal that it was actually censored uh, in parts of the world because it was like, oh my god, so shocking. I mean, today you're like, eh, not so much, but it's still, it's a really, I mean, it's still pretty brutal. The hanging scene with yeah. the bridge is pretty brutal. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely, that one you'll be like, oh, that, that's, that's a bit of a serious film. But yeah, they're really they're really quite good. I swear to God. Um, he also appeared uh, in some wacky comedy in the '60s with pictures, which I will say I have not seen, but uh, kind of want to, or maybe not. Uh, such as Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, and its sequel, because one is not enough. One is never enough no, of a bikini machine. Not at all. Doctor Goldfoot and the Girl Bombs. Oh, Doctor. So, uh, you might check those. I don't know. I mean... We may have to make yeah. a weekend of this. I mean, dude need You know, dude likes to work. And you, you know, he, he's been in over 100 films, so he's gonna try stuff. I'm for it. Uh, he was also a regular on Hollywood Squares, which, again, for those who might not, you know, be familiar with the American television of this era, was this kind of wacky game show that had literal, like, big squares that kind of B-list, sometimes even A-list. Howie uh, Mandel. Yeah. There were a lot of people on there, and they were funny and quippy, and yes. that was the thing with Hollywood square, uh, Squares. And Vincent Price was one of the funniest Absolutely. ones. Um, in fact, he was one of the, when it when the Hollywood Squares uh, ended and had its finale in 1980, he was one of the uh, stars that was on it. That's cool. So, uh, and then later in his life, as the kinds of horror films that audiences were interested in kind of switched from gothic spook fests and, you know, deranged killers like Dr. Fibes uh, into basically, you know, let's hack up some nubile co-eds, which was Friday not... the 13th, yeah. Jason, all of those. Texas Chainsaw Mascara, you know, all that sort of thing. There was a switchover in the yeah. horror genre. It was just... It, but the thing is, it developed from that original sense, and from Vincent Price. Right, but as this kind of thing became what people wanted to see, his career doing spooky movies kind of dwindled in the 1970s, and he turned to more varied work, such as the aforementioned BBC radio horror and mystery series, The Price of Fear, and God Bless Canada, I gotta do a shout out here, uh, doing cameos in the children's program, The Hilarious House of Frightenstein, on local Hamilton, Ontario station, CHCH. And I think you can actually find episodes of that on YouTube as well. Oh um, my god. Oh my god. Like, Canadian children's television is the best thing in the goddamn world. It just, it really is. It's my favorite thing ever. Hey, they were Mr. Rogers before they before Mr. Rogers. So, yeah, Mr. Dressup, what, Mr. Rogers was on 
Canadian television before he came to the U.S. This is no his. surprise. So, This yeah. is no surprise. Um, and he also worked with Alice Cooper, the kind of famous 1970s shock rocker. Uh, he showed up on an episode of The Brady Bunch as a deranged archaeologist, and he guest starred on The Muppet Show. Wasn't he also on Scooby-Doo? He was. He was absolutely on the sort of, like, 70s, 80s version of Scooby-Doo. Like, he did all kinds of stuff. He played Grover in There's a Monster at the End of This Book on Broadway. Like, Grover from Sesame Street. Oh, my God. Grover. Oh, Grover. Yeah, he was, yeah. He did all, I mean, he tried it all. Why the hell not? Uh, And though, and then he had what uh, many, including Price himself, considered to be his greatest performance, which was on stage in a one-man traveling production about Oscar Wilde that was called Diversions and Delights. So he really, I mean, he was a very good classical actor, but he also could bring the charm, the schmaltz, and the cheese. And the Oscar. Well, the the Grover. And the Grover. Yes. Uh, Had to do it. Uh, So in the 1980s, uh, he also starred in a Disney movie, a classic... Yes, he did! The Great Mouse Detective! And he was the villainous rat again. I mean, I'm usually like, hey, don't make don't make rats the bad guys, but he's a pretty great bad guy, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Bill and Ted, I'm going to have to put them in front of the TV and let them see that. Give them inspiration. I don't Here, think guys, they need, here's how you do this. Yeah, I don't think they need more inspiration to be, to be bad children. But um, And then, as I alluded to earlier, he was featured as the narrator on Michael Jackson's thriller. Grizzly ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom. Uh, and then he also, and this is how I really grew to love him as a little kid, hosted PBS's Mystery for pretty much the entire 80s. And that is where I first heard his mellifluous voice uh, in our house because that show, Mystery, that is my mom's favorite TV show of all time. She will beat you to goddamn death with a PBS tote bag full of swag if you so much as speak a word of disfavor about mystery. Like, don't don't step to my mom. It is her jam. Mystery. We're going to be watching mystery. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, that, that TV belongs to her. You're going to shut up and play nice in the corner or you're going to go to the your room. Mystery is on. I'm here for it. My right? mom was Dark Shadows. I'm, yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah, my mom was mystery. She was like classy, but also murder. This is my jam. Sexy vampires. That was right. that was all my mom wanted. There you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So in 1990, just a few years before his death, he had his last significant film role as the inventor in Tim Burton's goth classic, Edward Scissorhands, which is something that most of our younger listeners probably would have seen him in if you have if you don't if you haven't remarked that it's him. He basically was the man who built. Edward Scissorhands. He's he's a Tim, he's um basically Johnny Depp's dad. Yeah, yeah. But lest you think that acting is all that he was a goddamn boss at, let me just tell you of his art and gastronomic contributions to society. In 1957, he and his second wife, Mary Grant Price, donated 90 pieces from their highly extensive personal art collection as well as a hefty chunk of change to establish the Vincent Price Art Museum at East Los Angeles College in Monterey Park, California. Over time, they ultimately donated around 2,000 pieces to the museum. 
Additionally, Price was also so keen to spread the gospel of art to the populist masses that he worked as an art consultant to Sears Roebuck, like Sears Roebuck, the catalog people. I'll be damned. Yeah, from 1962 to 1971, when they basically offered the Vincent Price Collection of Fine Art, and he ended up selling about 50,000 art prints to the general public, including works by like Rembrandt, Picasso, and Dali. Yes, you could buy you could buy a Picasso through the Sears Roebuck catalog. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah the 60s were an interesting time. And again, uh, in the arts, but also a champion of racial equality, uh, he was appointed to the Indian Arts and Crafts Board during the Eisenhower administration, which he said came as quite a surprise because he was a Democrat. Um, he was also really supportive of his daughter, Victoria, who is delightful. Uh, when she came out as a lesbian, and he was very critical of that shitbird Anita Bryant's mean, petty, anti-gay campaign in the 1970s. And he was one of the first celebrities to be a part of public service announcements talking about AIDS in the 1980s. So in other words, Vincent Price was a pretty cool dude. Oh, yeah. So now this brings us around to the cooking part of things, which is what we did. He had a cooking show, and all four of his cookbooks, which he authored with his second wife, Mary four goddamn cookbooks like this wasn't a flash on the pan this was his thing um he basically did this like five volume set of the greatest treasury of america's recipes and then he also did cooking price wise with vincent price which is what we cook from and it came out of a british television cooking show of the same name that ran on itv in april and may of 1971 and then he also demonstrated, as we watch tonight, um, his culinary skills on a number of talk shows in the 70s, with the most famous instance being on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, where in 1975, he demonstrated how to cook an entire meal, including poaching a fish, in a fucking dishwasher. Dishwasher fish is caused by Vincent Price. And now yeah. I'm so curious... It may end up as another episode yeah, of we, something stupid. We did not. We used regular cooking. Yeah, we yes. didn't do that. I, but you can absolutely go on YouTube, look up Vincent Price, Johnny Carson, and you will see it. And then be amazed at what he can do. Uh, sadly, Vincent Price left this plane of existence in 1993 at the age of 82, just a few days away from Halloween. Uh, as a result of lung cancer from a lifetime of smoking. But he leaves us his delightful cinematographic, cinematographic, cinema, his film legacy, uh, as well as the amazing cookbooks. And so we made four dishes. Uh, I chose milk chicken because it scared me. Um, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, it, I can't, it, uh, uh, let me ugh. let me just say garnished milk chicken. I'm sorry, I forgot that part. The garnish is really yeah. what was terrifying at this meal. We so, all you can check out uh, pictures oh, yeah, of this I'm on post our the Instagram online. It involves boiling a chicken, just chunks of chicken for a way longer than because like, boiling was like a big major way of cooking food back in the day. They believed in boiling yeah. the hell out of all and we of it. boiled we boiled the shit out of this chicken. You boil it in water first till it's good and dead. Then you take that off, and then you put milk on it, because, like, it's cereal, I guess. And you boil that shit down till it turns into, like, a white gravy. You make a gravy. And here's the thing. It wasn't bad. It was kind of like, you know, biscuits and gravy yeah. without the sausage. It wasn't bad. But it's the garnished part of milk chicken that gave my ass serious pause. 
because you put your chicken on a plate, you put the white goop on it, all right, fine. You sprinkle peas around it, like green peas. Okay, you got me, these seem fine. And then some sliced up hard boiled egg. Uh, all right, not my thing, but okay. And then comes the slices of banana. Yes, she said banana. I did not say plantain. People, oh, did you mean plantains? No, he meant bananas. Banana. Bananas, like thin slices of goddamn bananas. He just lay it on there. Raw. Raw bananas. Banana. Just bananas. Just because you like bananas. And it's bananas. And uh, then you eat it. And you eat it. And you know what? It was like 90% less horrible than I thought it was going to be. It was actually pretty good. Yeah, I could eat it and not die. It yeah, right. the, the combination of banana and pea... An egg with the gravy and the chicken was actually pretty damn good. Yeah. I I was scared. I'm not going to lie. No, I was you scared. Been. I mean, would I make it again? I don't know that I liked it that much, but I didn't. I mean, Maybe I... for a party to screw with people? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. okay. But it, I mean, honestly, it wasn't like, no, it was okay. We were scared, but it was yeah. good. And then for your second dish you made. Oh, I made the crocodile cucumber. Which, which was adorable. Oh, I'm making this again. I mean, it basically, there's no cooking involved. There's a lot of cutting. You take a long, skinny cucumber, and you basically cut a mouth out of it, and then make little four little, like, uh, party pick legs for it. And you make the teeth in its little mouth out of slivered almonds. And then you take two pimento-stuffed almonds on little picks and make giant boogly eyes and then just put a delicious olives, assortment not almonds oh, oh, pimento sorry. stuffed pimento olives. olives and then you just put all these party picks with like cheese and cornichons and whatever the hell you want along its back it's and adorable it's delicious and adorable and then if you're my husband you bite the goddamn face off of it because you're a monster it was amazing it and was so perfectly timed we will have photos of it online yes. so you can be yes. like damn that is a cold ass crocodile cucumber you can yes. make it yes i have faith it's in adorable you. it's adorable and i probably will make it up at some point oh it's and great then for my recipes which was quite good yes actually i was very pleased with it i made a apple stock lamb which is a lamb roast in apple cider and uh stock and then with onions and it was good it was very good very yeah, tender and totally the, delicious not weird in any way yeah that was the one that i was like okay i can do that this. seems normal yeah but then the dessert i mean the flavor was good it's just because again we followed as much to the letter as we could what was in the cookbook so we didn't alter any of the stuff that went in it or the amounts so side note lynn and i both enjoy cooking quite a bit uh, quite a bit i really really enjoy cooking and have been asked if maybe i should do so on a professional level i i really yeah, nobody enjoy asked it. me about that they're more like thanks for making this whatever it is and well you do have people drink beet juice I, do, I mean, I make weird food for fun for myself. I like to pickle things. I usually have a jar that I have to burp so it doesn't explode somewhere in my kitchen counter because I'm like, I'm very much Vincent Price mad scientist in the kitchen. Yeah. So for this dessert, it was called a rice pear apricot ring. And it was like... It was jello. It was jello, but it Remember, was. Remember, gelatin was a big thing. Oh, back it was in the so day. big back then. But you take 
cream and milk and sugar and apricots and pears and you do some magic with it by cooking it over you have to cook, double pot cook it sweet jesus I, it was uh, it was a production then you have to cool it down like this thing took... and you you and i both have postage stamp size kitchens mm-hmm. like i basically cook in an elevator not a freight elevator like a dumb waiter elevator yeah it took me hours to make that thing and i had to borrow jello mold for you from you because like i was I said, like i don't i like to make weird shit I, don't know. I love an aspic right i hey there we go. So put all that together, gel it. And as I'm letting it sit, like even before that, the amount of gelatin that they wanted me to mix in compared to the amount of liquid, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if that's right, but I'm following the, yeah, the recipe. Yeah, for science. You for science. For science. And this it, is America's test kitchen gone very, very, this is Hell's test, test kitchen. That so, is what yeah. that says, yes. And it didn't quite why it set up the way it should have yeah it was more of a dessert a thick dessert soup let's it was go good. with that but it yeah. tasted great it's it great. was lovely and uh you have to pour a sauce over it which you make out of it, it's a con so it's a process much brandy. so much brandy um I mean, maybe the brandy it's that's what's talking tell me it tasted good i don't know it was good so though. much brandy but i mean those apricots that i made the sauce out of i had to steep Oh, you're going to, don't eat those apricots, like, more than one at a time. You're going to get, like, sloppy uh, in the kitchen. Oh, no, no, no. Those didn't have alcohol oh, in them. Oh, okay. I thought those no, were no. in the whole situation. No, they were uh, pruned, and I had oh. to take them. They were dehydrated and rehydrate Sweet them Jesus. in the water. And then that water with the brandy, as well as apples, was cooked into the sauce. Yeah, and then sick. I drained the ap- the apricots and the apples off. And that was the sauce this I used. This is not an easy 15-minute week, weeknight no. meal. No. No. This is not an instant pot uh, situation. Nope. And on that note, we hope that you enjoyed our first episode of Something Stupid because... Because we've got more dumb things. I have so many bad celebrity cookbooks. I have the Barbara Cartland Romance Cookbook. It's all pink food from the 1980s. I cannot wait. I have the Liberace Cookbook. It's on like Donkey Kong. And it's not all going to be cooking. Sometimes we're just going to do stupid shit because yes. that's who we're we are. Make bad life choices and let you hear about it. Yeah. So remember, take care of each other. And um, don't make garnished milk chicken. Thank you for listening, friends. Remember, if you would like to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook at The Disturbing Interest Podcast, Twitter at podcast underscore DI, Instagram at DI Podcast. You can find us online at disturbinginterest.com, or you can email us at disturbinginterest at gmail.com. Our P.O. Box is 70515, Seattle, Washington, 98127. Remember to rate, like, and tell your friends, and we'll talk at you soon.